Well, thank you, Michael. How good was that baptism at the start? It's so beautiful. And it is National Volunteer Appreciation Week. And I just wanted to say, as part of the ministry team here and leading this team, and I know everyone in our team as well, are so thankful and appreciative of everyone who serves the church here at New Life Coolangatta. There's about 50 people that serve across the breadth of our church, whether it's kids' life, teaching our kids, whether it's on the Connect team, in tech. We even do things outside of our church where people go and minister to kids at the local school. And we just want to say thank you so much from the bottom of our heart. Now, when I say that, it doesn't seem like it's enough. It seems like, oh, really? It's only words, Scott. But just know they come from deep down within our heart. We are so appreciative of each and every one of you for serving not only the church, but serving God and loving others as well. Um, my name's Scott. I'm the pastor here at New Life Cool and Gatter, if I've not met you. And we are in week six of our series on Ephesians. We're halfway through. So congratulations of uh, hanging in there with us. Who's been enjoying going through the book of Ephesians? Yeah, I know I have. You know, what I love as well is the variety of different preachers we've had up here teaching God's Word. It's really good to see a different viewpoint from different people about God, what God's Word says to each and every one of us. I love it. And today we're going to be looking at the last few verses in chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. So you can follow along in your Bible, or you can just turn your attention to the screen as I read it. Chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. For this reason I kneel before the Father, for whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. Your word is rich and your word is powerful. And your word is active, God. Open our hearts to receive your word. And Lord, help me preach your word with grace and truth and love. That Lord, they wouldn't look to me, but they would only look to you, the one who brings life and life in all its fullness. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever felt powerless? Like, have you ever felt overwhelmed, like you had no options, like there was nothing you could do to either help yourself or to help others? Can you think of a time when fear and doubt dominated your mind? You felt trapped by your situation. Have you ever thought that the situation that you're in is just too big? It's even too big for God to fix. But what Paul is telling us here, that there is nothing too big for God. And his prayer for the church at Ephesus is that they would be strengthened by the understanding and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to live in peace regardless of the situation they find themselves in and we find ourselves in. There are two things Paul is praying for here for the Ephesian church. One, that they would be strengthened. And two, that they would have power. You see, in these first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul lays out the gospel. He lays out the gospel in simple terms. He explains that we've all been saved by grace. It's the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that we were dead in our sins, but we are made alive in Christ Jesus. 
And then because we're made alive in Jesus, we're actually adopted into the family. We all become sons and daughters of the Most High God. And because we're adopted into that family, we actually receive an inheritance. And that inheritance is eternal life and the whole cosmos, as, as Adam taught us last week, we actually gain the whole universe. And through this adoption, we are now sons and daughters. There's no enmity between the different ethnic groups on the earth. Because we're all children of God. We're equally loved. We're equally saved. We're equally precious. So in Christ Jesus, it breaks down those barriers, those prejudice walls in the human heart. And we're made one through Christ Jesus. And what this does is it causes Paul to break out in this prayer in the middle of his letter. Have you ever been somewhere and it's just caused you to praise? Have you ever seen something that's just caused you to worship God? You know, I know sometimes when I go surfing, I get there before the sun comes up. And the, the rising of the sun, I just look at it and I go, wow, it is so beautiful. And it just causes in me this praise and this worship to go, wow, God, you make some amazingly beautiful things. And there are times where I'm down the beach and my wife's over next door in kids' life where I'm hanging out with my wife and my two boys and I just look at them. And I'm just so thankful for the gift of family. So thankful for the gift of my wife and my kids. And it causes in me this, this worship and this praise to break out. You see, the love and the grace of God actually overwhelms Paul into a place of prayer for the Ephesians so that they would know and understand what he knows to be true, not just intellectually, but spiritually too. Paul starts his prayer with, For this reason, everything I've explained to you at the start, everything I've explained to you in the first three chapters of this letter, all that God has done, all the amazing work through Christ Jesus, for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. The gospel causes Paul to be humble, to kneel before God, to worship God for everything he has done. And then he continues, he again talks about every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. He's bringing unity again. He's praising God for the unity that we get in Christ Jesus. Most theologians believe he's talking about those saints who are in heaven and those saints who are on earth. We are all one in Christ. Peter says about Jesus in Acts 4.12, he says, Foundation, uh, Salvation is found in no other name. There's no other name under heaven and earth that by which man can be saved, humanity can be saved. We all come together under the name and the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so the first thing he prays is that they would be strengthened. In verse 16, he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit and your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Why do we need strength? Well, it's because we're weak. We are actually weak in spirit. We are weak in faith. We are weak in heart. We are naturally weak in our innermost being. Think about it. Think about how easy it is to succumb to sin. Think about how easy it is to be selfish. Think about how easy it is to worry about myself and not care about others. Think how easy it is to, to doubt God, to doubt God's love, to doubt his judgments, to doubt his commands. Think how easy it is to disobey God rather than to obey him. Think about how easy it is to want revenge instead of mercy or choose pleasure over pain, to hate rather than love. You know, I could go on, on and on, right? The list is endless. You see, we are weak in our human state. And what history tells us is we're not getting any better. 
We've not been able as a human race to stop the weakness of our fleshly desires or our heart that's full of wickedness and our weak minds that run off into hate and anger and bitterness and fear and anxiety. We seem to have not enough strength to wage war on all these different battlefronts all at the same time, continually, day after day. Am I right? Or is that just me that struggles with that? We're in desperate need of help and we're in desperate need of strength. And not just any strength, but we're in desperate need of a supernatural strength. And this is what Paul is praying for here. That the Ephesians would be strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit down in their innermost being. Paul's praying for a transformed heart and spirit. Not just a head knowledge, but a supernatural transformation deep down in their soul. You know, Ezekiel prophesied about this hundreds of years before Christ came before the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost. Ezekiel said in Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27, this is God speaking, I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Ezekiel's prophesying about a time when God would fill his people with his spirit, that he would take that heart of stone that we have and turn it into a heart of flesh, that we wouldn't have to follow the law, but we would want to from our inner being. Because we actually have a heart of stone. We have a heart that's hard towards others. We have a heart that's hard towards people that are different to us. We have a heart to hard towards people that disagree with us. We have a hard heart because of jealousy and pride and envy and all these things. And the reason is, is because we've been hurt. We've been hurt by sin. We've had our hearts hardened by people hurting us. Those that are meant to love us hurt us and, and we close off. And some people, well, most people have a hard heart towards God. It's cold and it's shut off from God. Some people have a hard heart before God towards God because they don't want to be corrected by God. Some people have a hard heart towards God because they don't want to believe the truth about God, which would mean they'd have to change. Some people have a hard heart towards God because God calls them to love God and love others, and they don't want to do that. And sometimes it's just because they want to be God themselves. You know, we see this in the Gospels. Jesus walking the earth, and he's doing these amazing miracles, right? Like he's healing people. People who are paralyzed are walking again. He's feeding 5,000 people. He's raising the dead. And even though he was doing all these amazing things, the people he came to save rejected him because they had a hard heart. They didn't want to believe he was the Messiah, the one to come. They had a hard heart towards their own Messiah. In John chapter 11, verses 47 and 48, we have this story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. So Lazarus is dead for like three days. And he comes and raises him from the dead. And there are people there that believed, but there were other people that witnessed that were like, no. Nah. And they went to the chief priests and the Pharisees and they told them what happened. And the chief priests and Pharisees, they were the ones that were waiting on the Messiah, the one to come. And even with this news, they had a hard heart towards Jesus. And this is their response. It says, Then the chief priests and Pharisees gathered the council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. They don't deny that Jesus didn't do miracles. They claim he did. But if we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. You see, they wanted the place of prominence. 
They wanted leadership. And their pride, their hardness of heart, turned them against their Messiah to the point where they actually plotted to kill him, as later tells us in the Gospel of John. Not only Jesus did they plot to kill, but Lazarus to get rid of all evidence of the miracle. That's how hard their heart was towards Jesus. Now if we go to the disciples, when Jesus is teaching the disciples about divorce, he teaches them about divorce and they're like, well, don't get married then because if you can't divorce, that would suck. Um, And then then the disciples say to them, hey, well, like Moses said, we could divorce. And this is Jesus' response. Jesus answered and said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. Because their heart was so hardened to the truth, they put laws in there to allow them to do it. And then we look at Mark 16. This is a time after the resurrection. Jesus is resurrected from the dead. Mary sees Jesus resurrected. She goes and tells the 11 disciples and says, I've seen the Lord risen. And they didn't believe her. So Jesus appears to the 11 disciples and he says to them, later he appeared to 11 as they sat at the table. He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Like Jesus says, you've got a hard heart. You can't even understand that I told you multiple times that I would die, that I would suffer, and I would rise again on the third day. But even when one of the people came and said, I've seen the risen Lord, their heart was so hard they didn't even believe. Even on the road to Emmaus, there's two disciples after Jesus was buried walking to Emmaus. And Jesus was resurrected. He comes alongside them. They didn't even notice it was Jesus. And they start talking to Jesus and they say to him, do you know what's going on? We had this man named Jesus. He did amazing signs and wonders. We thought he was the Messiah, but clearly not. He's dead. And Jesus, throughout the scriptures, then starts opening the scriptures of the Old Testament, showing them where the Messiah had to suffer, but that he would die and rise again. And he said to them, oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets had spoken. They had a hard heart to even believe. And then in Romans, Paul actually talks about this for all people. Now we're in the New Testament. Paul's talking about how humanity actually lives today. There is so much evidence for God out there. Paul says no one can stand before God at the end of time and have an excuse because creation declares the glory of the Lord. That no one has an excuse to stand before God and say, I didn't know because even our conscience bears witness against us. But Paul tells us, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but in their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. So even though there is evidence for God and even though in their heart they know God to be true, they actually reject that and they harden their heart against God. And he continues in verse 24, he says, Therefore God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity for degrading their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. They have this hard heart against God, and God goes, okay, I'll give you over to that. I'll give you over to your own desires. And they swap the truth about God, and they start worshipping things like money and power and sex, because they've got a hard heart. But the beautiful thing about all of these verses is that none of them had the Holy Spirit. Because all those verses in the Gospels, that was prior to Pentecost, before the Spirit had come. We have the Spirit. We have the Spirit of God living in us to strengthen us, 
to follow God, to know his love, to know his will. Hebrews talks about this. The writer who wrote Hebrews, we're not sure who wrote it, but he's talking to Christians and he says, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. He's talking to Christians here and what he's saying is you can have a hard heart by engaging in sin, by wanting to sin rather than wanting to follow God. And that word exhort actually means to encourage or strengthen. That's what we're meant to do. We're meant to come together as the church and strengthen one another to follow God. You know what? We desperately need a new heart and a new spirit from God, just like Ezekiel prophesied. So the question is, what, what areas in your life is your life is your heart hardened to God because of sin? And what areas in your life need to be softened to God and to others? Because why does Paul pray that we be strengthened by the Spirit in our innermost being? So that Jesus would actually dwell in our hearts, like in the innermost being of us. That all of our actions and all of our thoughts would be conformed to the image of Christ. That our innermost being would be directed by Jesus and His Spirit. In Romans 8, 5 to 6, it talks about this. He goes, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the fleshly desires. But those who live accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. We are called to be guided and live by the Holy Spirit because He lives in you. Paul prays that the Ephesians would not be weak and tossed around by sin or the circumstances of life, but would be strengthened by Jesus in the Holy Spirit, in their most inner being through faith. Faith is trust in Jesus. It's trust in, in the promises of God. It's trust in the Holy Spirit is living in you and wanting to actually strengthen you and guard you. John Stott says, What Paul asks for his readers is that they may be fortified, braced, invigorated, that they may know the strength of the Spirit's inner reinforcement and may lay hold ever firmly by faith of its divine strength and divine dwelling. We have the Holy Spirit that lives in us, that strengthens us. And so that's what he prays for the first. The second thing he prays for is that we would have power. He says in verse 17, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. How do we have power? Well, Paul tells us here, being rooted and established in the love of God. You see, to have power to face all that life can throw at you, you need to be rooted and established in God's love. We need to be grounded in the knowledge, regardless of what we're actually suffering, regardless of what we're going through, you are rooted in the fact that God is for you. He's not against you. Think about a tree that is fully established, like a really big tree with really big roots that go really deep into the soil. And imagine the soil is God's love. So we have a tree that is rooted deep in the soil. It doesn't matter how much wind, how much rain, if a tornado comes. It doesn't matter if there's a flood. Even if there's a fire, it is grounded and rooted in the love of God. And it actually grows again right after a fire. This is what Paul is praying for here, that we would be rooted in God's love so much so that nothing can actually push us away from it. Nothing can determine us or make us think that God doesn't love us. And this is Paul writing this. Like if anyone 
had an opportunity to doubt God's love for them, it's Paul. Paul suffered so much stuff, it is unbelievable. Unbelievable. None of us will even suffer, I would say, 5% of what Paul suffered. Like he was in prison, he was beheaded for the faith. In 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 11, there's this short list of what Paul actually suffered as a servant of God. He says, I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently than any of the other disciples, been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Do you know why it's 40 minus one? Because they believed that if you got to 40, the person would die. Like 40 lashes would literally kill someone. So they take it right up to the point where they're almost dead and take one off to make them suffer that pain. Five times he got that. Five times he suffered that. After the first time, I'd be like, God, what's going on? Don't you love me? Like, why am I going through this? I'm serving you. Why am I getting whipped? Why don't you stop them? That happened to him five times. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. We have this account in the book of Acts. He was stoned basically to death. They thought he was dead, so they grabbed his body and they dragged him outside the city and dumped him outside the city. And the disciples found him out there, went and prayed for him and he got healed. Stoned to death. Three times I was shipwrecked. <laughs> I spent a night and a day in the open sea. Anyone hung out in the sea for over a day? Paul, shipwrecked three times, floated around for a day and a half in the ocean. I've been constantly on the moon. I've been in danger from rivers, from bandits, from fellow Jews, from Gentiles, in the city, danger in the country, in the sea, but from false believers. I've labelled and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. How many of us have gone without food because we literally didn't have any? Not many of us. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Do you hear that last bit? But all that stuff he's gone through, there's not even the half of the sufferings that he suffered for the name of Christ. On his heart is, I face daily the pressure, my concern for all the churches. That is beautiful. That's being rooted and grounded in the love of God, to love others regardless of what he is suffering. And he goes on, how he says, grasp, that we would grasp how wide and deep is the love of God. He's saying, take hold of. Reach out and grab it with understanding. If you don't understand God's love for you, reach out for it. Talk to Christians that have been Christians for, for many years, many decades. Get into God's word. Get into prayer. Reach out and actually grasp on to the love of God for you. Because he says that power comes from knowing the love of God that surpasses knowledge. How do we know? It's only through Jesus and the Holy Spirit in you. You see, the natural mind without the Holy Spirit cannot understand the love of God. Because the love of God surpasses human knowledge. It surpasses human reason. It surpasses human wisdom. It surpasses earthly experience. Because Paul can experience all this stuff and still fully understand and know the love of God. And it surpasses sin. It brings salvation. You know, we will never plumb the depths of God's love. Never. It's so large. And why does he want to take hold of it? Why does he want us to know this, this knowledge that passes understanding so that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God? I don't know about you, but I don't know if I could contain that. <laughs> like the fullness of the measure of God. I don't know if I could handle that. 
But what he's saying is that you'd be full of the love of God so much that it would be the power that drives you in this life. That the love of God would come out in loving God and loving others as yourself. It's the love of God that transforms your human heart and brings life and life in its fullness. It's the love of God that compels us to want to obey Him. It's the love of God that transcends everything we'll ever face in this life. Why? Because regardless of what we face in life, regardless of the suffering we experience or see, we know God loves us unconditionally. Our suffering has nothing to do whether God loves us or not. He does love you, and we need to know that. And it's that love that gives us the power to endure life. Knowing his love will actually carry us through that pain, through that suffering, all the way into eternity where there will be no more pain and no more suffering. We know that our suffering has nothing to do with whether God loves us or not. Because look at Jesus Christ. God loved his son. Amen? Amen. Like, loved him, loved him. Amen? Amen? Jesus suffered horrifically. He suffered on the cross for you and me. They spat on him. They mocked him. God himself. But God still loved him. Don't doubt God's love for you when you suffer in this life. When we are filled with the love of God, we actually can't contain it. We can't contain the fullness of God, and that is good because that overflows. It overflows in love for God and others, even in the midst of our suffering. When we're full of the Spirit and we're full of the love of God, we actually shine bright like lights in the darkness. And because of that light, people will turn to God and want to know, what is the strength and power in you when you're going through this pain and suffering? It's so good. Because it's the Spirit at work in through us for the glory of God and the good of the world. How do we access this supernatural strength and power? Well, it's only through the gospel. Paul says in Romans, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. This is the man who suffered so so much, and he's not ashamed of it. He believes it is the power of God to everyone who believes. And this is the gospel, right? That we are sinners, that we are dead in our sin. That we don't have power to turn from our sin. So Jesus comes down in human flesh and takes on the sin of the world. And he goes to the cross and bears your sin and my sin. And pays our death penalty for us. And that everyone who believes and repents and puts their faith and trust in what Jesus did, not what we do, but what Jesus did, we receive the gift of forgiveness and eternal life but also the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to come and live in us. That's the gospel. If you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, today he wants to forgive you. He wants to fill you with strength and power through his spirit. You need to repent of your sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus. Put your faith in the love of God. If you're, still, if you're here and you're a Christian, you're still slightly hardened to this message and not totally convinced and still doubting, Paul finishes with this beautiful passage. He says, Now to him who is Jesus, who is able to do more, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Here's the good news. It's his power that actually will do it. And God can do far more than we could ever imagine or dream. You know, there's no person too far from God that God can't transform. There's no situation that God can't change. And there's no situation that God can't strengthen you to endure 
with power. You know what? I agree with you. You don't have it in you to change. Nor do I. But let me tell you, there is someone in you that can change you. It's the Holy Spirit. Church, yield to him. Open your heart to him. Be guided by him. And he will do far more than you can ever imagine or expect. Does the band want to come up? I got saved at 33. And prior to getting saved, I was an extremely shy guy. Like as an adult, I would get my mum to ring up for car insurance for me. I know. I was too scared to ring up, even on a phone. Then I met my wife and we got married and she would do all the dealings. When we bought houses and that, I was too scared to talk to people. I'm like, you go do it. So my wife would go do it all, right? So then I get saved at 33. I've got a wife, two kids. And I come start coming to church and one of the pastors said, oh, I think you'd be great on the welcome team. I'm like, are you for real? That's my greatest nightmare. Like talking to new people. I don't even like talking to half the people I know, let alone like talking to new people. And so they put me on the Connect team. And I found out that I actually loved it. I loved meeting people. I loved welcoming people to church because God had done a transformation in my heart. And it's so interesting. Then Stu one day got up and he preached the message that we should share our faith at work. And I was sitting there, I was so like disappointed. I'm like, he doesn't understand where I work. I work on the wharves with 300 wharfies. Crane drivers, forklift drivers, you get bashed if you share your faith. God would never make me do that. A couple of months later, the thing I loved the most was sharing my faith with guys at work. God was just doing this transformation in my heart. And one of the guys that I would witness to, he came to faith in Christ. And he said, you're so passionate about this. You're going to preach one day. I'm like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. God knows me. I would never get up in front of even three people. I'm sure God's going, oh, yeah, okay. Well, let's just see. Then I become a pastor and I'm preaching at Rabina in front of 500. It's crazy. And then he gets me to plant a church and preach most weeks. But what I love about this, I don't tell you this to boast. I tell you this because there is a powerful God that wants to transform you. I'm an ordinary man, but I worship an extraordinary, limitless God. And I love the fact that he'd done all that in me because I know it's not my power. It's not my desire. It's the power of the Holy Spirit at work in me. You know, God surpassed all my wildest dreams. And the crazy thing is, he's not even finished yet. I'm like, what else are you going to do? The greatest part about this, God gets all the glory for all the transformation in you and in me. He gets the glory for all the work in the church. We can personally and corporately claim nothing. It's all by the power of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit strengthening us in our inner being. Praise God for all He's done, all He's doing, and all He's about to do in and through you and the church. Paul prays for the Ephesians, and I pray that you may know the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit And put your roots deep down, deep down into the love of God. That as a church, we would show the world the transforming power of the gospel. That they would turn to him and put their faith and trust in him. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. That it is by your power and by your spirit. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come right now. That you would strengthen ourselves 
you would strengthen us in our innermost being, God. That you would help us grasp how wide and how deep the love of Christ is for us. Lord, I pray that you would help us see even in our sufferings that you love us, that you hear our prayers, that you are moving with power. Strengthen us, God, that we would be witnesses to your mercy, your grace, and your love. Help us understand and work in and through each and every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, over the last few months, uh, myself and the ministry team, we've had this this thing on our heart that we actually want to lean more into the power of God. We want to lean into the the presence of God, the, the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. We want to pray for healing. We want to pray that God would speak to each and every one of us, that he would break chains. And so what we've decided to do is, while worship is playing in the last song, every single Sunday, starts this Sunday, there are going to be people down in this corner. If you would like prayer for anything, we would love to pray with you. Because the Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit dwells in each and every one of us. And the Holy Spirit wants to transform us, heal us, and redeem us. And I know when I talk to many of you, you have prayer requests. So let's be humble. Let's be the church. Let's love one another. Let's pray with one another. And I know it's scary coming down the front. But come down knowing that the ministry team love you. We want to stand with you. And we want to stand firm in the love and the power and the grace of the Holy Spirit and pray for healing. We as a church believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that God is still powerful and active. So as we play, as we worship, please come down the front. We would love to pray with you.